Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Hey, hey, good morning. Good morning. You guys can be seated. Wow. Wow. Go Chiefs, right? What happened last week? I, I, I was going crazy, then I was going crazy, and wow. So let's do better, right? Well, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm so glad I was able to be with you. I'm actually filming uh, all the small group stuff for my book over the next couple of weeks, so we were taking a couple Sundays off, and I made the mistake of telling that to Pastor Brandon. And so, uh, so, so in the last minute, we had this Sunday available, and we're, we're glad to be a part of your, your spiritual emphasis this week. Uh, I, I do want to tell you just a little bit about our ministry. Uh, he did a great job. I speak in conferences and churches around the country, and uh, I just finished my, uh, well, well, I finished it about six months ago, but it just came out. Uh, my first book, it's called Divine Intentions. I worked on this for two years and it is my manifesto on restoration. It's got my story in it, but I really wrote it for somebody who, you know Christ, but you just feel like, man, I don't know if I can be the person God's called me to be or live the life he's called me to live, and how in the world did, did God do that in your life? And uh, I really wrote it to like a 20-year-old version of me, and we, we've, uh, we've already had a whole bunch of them go out, and we would love for you to pick up a copy this morning. Again, it's called Divine Intentions, and uh, you, we'd love to bless you with it. If you can't afford one, please see us, and we'll, we'll, we'll hook you up. Also, this is my only chance to speak to you this week, uh, so there's some other sermon series stuff out on the table. Uh, this is about four hours of teaching here. It's called The Healthy Life. It's our bestseller. It deals with worry, depression, bitterness, insecurity, and so we'd love to I'd love for you to get some resources in your life. So part of what we do is we travel and speak in uh, both uh, nationally and internationally, and then we take that influence and we use it for missions. The Bible says in Proverbs 31.8 that we should speak for those that can't speak for themselves, and we should ensure justice for those that are being crushed. So I believe that if God gives you influence, you should use it for those that don't have any influence. Amen? If God gives you a voice, you should speak for those that don't have a voice. And so that's what we try to do. So I spend about 10 of my Sundays, about two and a half months of my year overseas. Last year, we had 17 teams. We did about $150,000 just in project money through our ministry that went 100% towards those projects. Uh, but out of that, and your team would attest to this, I'm looking at some tired team members right now, uh, that we, we did about $500,000 worth of labor with that money and uh, in some of the world's poorest environments. And so we'd love to continue our partnership with your church. You guys support us monthly, and we're just really, really grateful for, for you all. Well, this morning, uh, I cannot resist this title or this topic. I wrote a sermon uh, coming into this new year, and I've entitled it 2020 Vision. Everybody say 2020 Vision. I mean, you want to have 2020 vision, not just physically, but spiritually, amen? And so this morning, I want to talk to you about vision. We're going to talk about seeing and living out God's purposes for your life. You, you, you got to have a vision, amen? Uh, part, of, part of why I'm here today is because of vision. Uh, Pastor Brandon and I, we're both uh, fans of Los Angeles. I go out there quite a bit as well. And uh, about four years ago, 
Uh, my wife and I, we were praying about resigning our church. We pastored a church about uh, 45 minutes from here and, and uh, going back on the road full time. And so we turned a trip into to LA into a prayer trip. And, and on that particular trip, uh, I was doing some speaking at a college, but I wasn't booked for the Sunday. And so kind of had a rare morning of waking up in a hotel and just trying to figure out where we were going to go to church. And I literally Googled church and about uh, three or four blocks away from our hotel to look like a pretty good church. And so Jeannie and I showed up, and, and that morning, God really spoke to us. In fact, during that service, they were singing a song about how God can relieve our fears, and, and, and during that, I was just worshiping, and the Lord began to give me a vision. I, I saw myself kind of standing in an open place, and, and it's really weird, but I was covered in all these little hooks, like fish hooks, and each one of them had like a string on it, and I would try to walk in a certain direction, and, and one, of the, one of the hooks would go taut, and it would just kind of throw me off course, and I was very random, and I, and I, and I asked the Lord while I was worshiping, I was like, oh, what is that? And, and God immediately spoke to me and said, son, the reason why you're having a hard time obeying me is because you're covered in fear. And by the end of that worship song, I just watched those hooks of fear d- dissipate. I mean, you know, it's hard to have vision and be filled with fear at the same time, amen? And the next day, sitting in a restaurant, I couldn't write fast enough on the back of a napkin, and God gave me a five-point vision for my ministry that we have literally watched come true over the last three or four years. And, And part of that was the book that I have with me this morning. But it's all about vision. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 9, that no eye can see and no ear can hear and no mind can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. And it goes on to say that uh, in the very next verse that it is the job of the Holy Spirit to connect us with the knowledge of God about our life. In fact, in that verse, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, it says the Holy Spirit even wants to reveal the secrets of God to you. I mean, you want to know the secrets of God, amen? I mean, you think God knows stuff about you that you don't know about yourself. I believe that God wants to speak vision, to give expectation to everybody in this room. I was doing a little bit of research as I was writing this, and I came across a story that happened back in 1952 it's about a famous swimmer named Florence Chadwick. She had swam the English Channel and a whole bunch of other dangerous things. She was not only a woman, but she was one of the greatest swimmers in the world at that time. And, and she wanted to challenge herself, and so she decided that she would swim between Catalina Island and the coast of Los Angeles. If you know anything about that, there's a very uh, dangerous stretch of water there. And, and in fact, that morning when she dove in, they actually had to chase sharks away with rifles and what have you. It's a very dangerous long swim. And, and she was making it, but there was a problem. There was really, really thick fog in the air. And, and everybody that was with her kept encouraging her, keep going, keep going, you're almost there. But about a mile away from the shore, she quit. And, and now, now a month later, she came back on a clear day and finished it. But that first time when she quit, she kept saying, I just couldn't see the shore. If I could see the shore, I would have made it easy. But because my vision was compromised, I found myself quitting early. I think that's what happens to a lot of us. A lot of us, man, we can't see where we're going, and therefore we get discouraged and we quit early. You might notice that I have glasses on this morning, and 
I had been wearing glasses since the third grade, about 25 years before they were cool. Every now and then I'll have somebody walk up to me and tell me my glasses are cool. And I hate that because I remember back in the third grade, I used to just like, man, I would hide them and everything else. And now, you know, everybody wears them just to be cool. But, but I wear glasses because I need them to be able to see. And without my glasses, I couldn't see my notes this morning. Without my glasses, I couldn't read well enough to read the books I read for reading. Research. I, I, without my glasses, I would have never wrote a book. Without my glasses, I couldn't see the emails and texts on my phone to be able to make the appointments for my ministry. In other words, clear vision is a foundational necessity for me to live the life that God has called me to live. Now, that just isn't a physical reality, but how many of you know that's a spiritual reality as well? You can't really be focused and aggressive about the life that God's called you to live if you can't see where you're going. So you need a clear vision. Everybody say, I need a vision. You need a vision. You need 2020 vision. You're in 2020. You need a 2020 vision. You need a clear understanding about the strategic direction that God has for you in your future. Now, what is a vision? Well, a vision is an understanding of the unknown. Vision is really the art of seeing the impossible. God wants you to know what he knows about your future. He wants to give you a picture of what is possible. Vision, it creates creates new direction. Vision is really what gets you focused. Another word for vision is focus. I mean, you want to live a focused life, amen? The apostle Paul said it like this. He said, run in such a way as to get the prize. I don't run like somebody running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. I've got a Focus life. Now, at the start of this new season, I believe that God is calling many of us out of the fog. The enemy, he's always wanting to talk about your foggy past, but God wants to talk about your clear future. Have you ever heard anybody say this? That future performance is best determined by past performance. Well, if that is true, we might as well not even watch the Chiefs game today, right? Because past performance has not been very good. But I don't believe in past performance having a voice over my future performance. I mean, you know, what determines future performance is when you encounter the grace of our God. Amen? There's a new day. Your past has no voice over your future. I heard a story about Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning is a famous NFL quarterback, but what you may not know is he played for the University of Tennessee. And he went back to his alma mater a few years ago, and they gave him a great honor. They let him direct the orchestra during a game. And, and he talks about this because he's not musical at all. And he said he got up there, and he started moving his arms around his stuff, and he was so impressed with himself because the orchestra was playing as good as they've ever played. And he walked away thinking, man, I really know what I'm doing. And then he looked back, and the entire time that he was directing, the real conductor was standing behind him, making it all happen, right? See, you're not the conductor of your life, amen? I mean, you know, Jesus is the hero of your story. You don't want to be the one directing the orchestra. You want God's vision for, for your future. Now, now, this is just a simple but powerful fact. God has assignments for you. He has places for you to go. 
and he has things for you to do. Now, this is so basic, and yet I am so amazed at how many Christ followers, they wake up every day, and they have no passion. Nothing is urgent, and they feel no sense of calling. I, I know I'm super good looking, but I'm 52 years old, and I can tell you, I meet a lot of people my age that no longer dream about their future. I can tell you that God has a dream for my future, amen? If you're heart's still beating, then you should have a vision. You should have a purpose for your life. But many of us, we have nothing to do. In my book, I write about a man who tried to buy a ticket to nowhere. He went to the plane ticket counters and he tried to tell them, hey, I, I'll pay any price. I just want a plane ticket to nowhere and nobody would sell him one. So he went to the bus station and he went to the train station. He did find a cab driver that would drive him around and take his money, but even he made him get out of the car eventually. Because how many of you know, they don't sell tickets to nowhere. Every ship, every plane, every train, they're all designed to take you somewhere. Every road is designed for calculated movement. Movement, which is convenient because God has places for you to go and he has things for you to do. This is what having a vision is all about. This is why it's important. See, a vision is deeper than a dream. A dream can foster hope, but a vision, it forces a plan. Dreams are in the metaphysical, but a vision, it shows up in the reality of your everyday life. Now, probably the golden text in all of the Bible when it comes to vision is Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. And it says this. It says, where there is no vision, everybody say no vision, the people perish. In other words, for you to even have a life, you've got to have a vision. In the New Living, it says, when, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. I mean, you know somebody that's running wild because they don't really know where they're going. I, I like it in the Message Bible. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Now, this is what I want for you. How many of you, now you don't have to raise your hand, but you just know, man, I was in my own way last year. I was always stumbling all over myself. The reason why is because you really didn't know what God was revealing for your future. But when you attend to what he reveals, when you live your life with a vision, you enter into the blessing of God. Now, there are really three kinds of people here this morning. There are people who make things happen. There are people who watch things happen. And there's people that have no idea what's happening. You don't want to be that third guy, right? You want to be somebody that's got a vision. And I know that God has one for you. Ephesians 5.8 says it like this. You once were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. What does darkness do? Darkness compromises vision. Now, in my house, we have nightlights all over the house because I know this about pain. The most painful thing you can ever go through in your entire life is stubbing your toe in the middle of the night followed by stepping on a Lego. That's pretty painful as well. Now, I've had women tell me that having a baby is worse, but I don't know about that. So, 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 so listen, I, we, we have just a little bit of light. Why? Because even just a little bit of light causes you to be able to have vision so that you can get to where you need to go. And the Bible says you're not in darkness, you're a person of light. Now, you may have noticed how fast things are moving in our culture today. Uh, sociologists call it 
an age of acceleration. Man, things are changing fast. Has anybody noticed that? Now, now, I believe that you need to have good vision because this isn't just a sociological thing. This is actually a spiritual thing. I, 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 get, I have the privilege of being able to travel all over the country, and I can tell you the church is exploding in ways the news will never cover. God is up to things, and he's moving at a fast pace. But you need to understand this formula. See, clearness of vision or quality of vision equals speed of movement. I just bought a new car, and in my car, it's got this little automatic thing that it does with the headlights. If it's too dark, it will automatically turn on the brights for you. Why? Because it knows that I can't drive as fast as I want to drive, and I want to drive fast, amen? I can't go as fast as I want to go if I can't see where I'm going. Quality of vision equals speed of movement. God is up to things in an accelerated rate today. I believe that this next couple of years, for those of us that will follow Jesus closely, that we're going to see like 20, 30 years of growth inside of just a very short period of time. Do you know this is actually the first miracle that Jesus performed? Jesus performed a miracle of acceleration, and I'll tell you about it. The Bible says that about the age of 12 years old, that Jesus attended a wedding, and they ran out of wine. Now, I'm not a drinker, but I hear that the best wine takes about 30 years to develop. I did research on that. Like, like internet, what, not like, not like you, know, you know, that probably would have been funner to do it the other way, but, but internet research. It's about 30 years to develop that. Jesus made new wine out of water, and the host said, you have saved the best wine. In other words, in a moment, he did something that nature would take 30 years to complete. I believe that God is doing those kind of miracles today, but the only way you're going to know what he's up to is if you have a vision for your life. So what does it look like to have a vision from God? I, I think just a few things here. I think one is that a God-given vision is naturally large. Vision is an expansive thing. I do not believe that God gives out small visions. The reason why is because a small vision is something you can accomplish within yourself. Whenever God gives a vision, he doesn't give you a vision that you can just write a check for. I can tell you my vision four years ago when I began traveling full-time again, I didn't have the resources or the connection to make any of it happen. But that's part of how I knew that it was a God-given vision because a miracle is an unexplainable thing, amen? Don't you want a vision from God that it's not going to come true unless you depend on him? Now, all of us, we are facing incredible opportunities that are brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. You, you, you in your life right now might look out over the landscape and say, man, I know God told me to do this, but none of the circumstances are lining up. Can I tell you, my friend, you're in a perfect position for God to perform a miracle because God loves to do the impossible so that he will get all the glory. Also, a God-given vision, well, it is simplistic by necessity. I, I, I met with a guy not long ago, Pastor Brandon. Well, well, it was four or five years ago. I was pastoring, and <clears throat> he's a guy that's got this inner city you know, kind of ministry. He does all this stuff, and 
And anyway, he wanted my church to support him. And so he asked me one day, he said, could you give me a three-hour meeting? Now, I love you, and I'll give you a meeting, but I don't give anybody three hours. And finally, I, he months and months, and finally I said, all right, I'll give you three hours. And I, and I sat down with him, and I understood why he needed three hours, because he's going to tell me his vision. He, he handed me a notebook that he called his vision notebook. It was three inches thick, and he started on page one. I have to tell you, an hour and a half in, I was more confused than when he started. I spent the last hour and a half explaining to him how that if you meet with somebody that has resources, you need to value and honor their time, and you should be able to put your vision on the back of a business card. Do you know, I I, I had somebody just the other day commit $20,000 to a missions project. Now, we don't take a dime of that. It all goes to the project. But, but, but literally, that came out of one sentence. The guy said, what do you want to do? And I just blah, 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 one sentence. A month later, he calls me back and said, I'm committed to the project. Why? Because people with resources, they want to know what, what simply, think, simply what God wants to do through your life. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, it says this. It says, the purposes of a man's heart are like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw them out. I, I love that. See, many of us, we are drowning ourselves and everybody else around us in the deep waters of all that's in our hearts. And, and, and what we have to do is spend time with the Holy Spirit so that we can be a person of understanding and everybody else around you and you yourself can become motivated. See, vision it replaces frustration with motivation. Confusion never motivates. Complexity is a playground for confusion. God wants your vision to be understandable. He wants it to be doable, amen? So you have to process that vision. I think also that God-given visions are specific by design. See, every arrow needs a target, and the Holy Spirit wants you to have something to aim your life at. You are God's arrow. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Doug, how do you know what you're called to? I, I mean, you seem to be on vision and you know you know what God's called you to. How do you know what you're called to? And, and, I'll, and it's, it's kind of a big question, but, but the truth is we need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, amen? But let me break this down a little further. I want to share with you something I call the desire principle. Back when I was about 29, I I was a youth pastor, and I took a whole bunch of kids to a youth camp. And I remember sitting in that youth camp and watching the speaker, and I wasn't jealous, but I just knew in my heart that I was called to do what that guy was doing. And and I remember just all week I struggled with it. And so finally, on the last night, I kind of got off in the corner, and I started repenting. I started saying, God, forgive me for having all this ambition, and I just need to be happy where I'm at. And I'll never forget what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, when did I put the vision for you to travel in your spirit? I said, well, when I was 17 years old. He said, how old are you now? I said, 29. He said, don't you think that in the last 12 years of you serving me, if this vision wasn't for me, that I would have corrected it? He said, no, no, my son. I gave you the desire of your heart. Psalm 138, verse 9. God will give us the desire of our heart. Basic theology 101. That doesn't mean you get whatever you want. It means God literally gives you desires. Amen? 
And so the Lord spoke to me that night, and he said, that desire is for me, but the timing's a little off. Two years later, I would go on the road full time. What, what was God saying? We have to pay attention to desire. Is there an urge? Is there an urgency? Is there a desire in you that's been there for a long time that's not been corrected by the Holy Spirit? I can promise you that desire very well may be from God. The, now, now, the last thing I'd say here is this, is that a God-given vision is by definition a personal thing. Your creator wants to give you permission to do some things that nobody can do in the way that you can do it. Now, I told you about my glasses earlier, but I can tell you this. If you came up and stole my glasses, they would not work for you. I have a very complicated prescription. And if you put them on your head, you're just going to see blurry, right? They make me see clearly, but they would make you see blurry. In other words, my vision is not your vision. But God has a vision for you, amen? And he has designed you on purpose with a purpose. Now listen, a lot of us think, I've screwed up too much, and and I've gone too far, and, and so much water has gone under the bridge that I just don't know that God's really called me anymore. Romans 11, verse 29, you need to remember, remember this verse. The Bible says that the gifts and the calls of God are irrevocable. In, 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 the, in the King James Bible, it says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. I, I like it in the Good News translation. It says it this way. It says God does not change his mind about how, who he chooses and who he blesses. In, in other words, if you have a calling that was placed on your life by the Holy Spirit, even if it was when you were a little kid, that calling is still alive and well in the spirit, and you will not be able to run away from that calling. I had a guy walk up to me at the end of one of my services a few years ago, and I had preached something like this, and he came up and he said, I'm mad at you. And I said, why? He said, because back when I was in my 20s, God called me to be a missionary, and he said, but I ran away from it, and I've made a whole bunch of money over the last 40 years. And he said, I'm retiring this spring, and then you come here and preach this. And he said, I'm mad at you. And I was like, and I, I don't know, I, I, I'm not a pastor, I'm an evangelist. So I, I was just like, whatever, man, get mad. I think God's upset with you, you know, and I just started going at the guy. And he smiled at me, and he said, he said here's what I'm going to do. And I said, what? He said, back when I was in my 20s, God told me that I was supposed to buy sailboats and go around all these, this was a church in Florida, go around all these little Caribbean islands that nobody else goes to and do crusades. And he said, you watch. He goes, I'm going to buy a sailboat. The guy was like 65. Well, the next time I came to his church, six months later, he walked up, showed me the picture of his first sailboat. Why? Because the gifts and the calls of God never go away. Amen? See, his favor is not fragile. You need to know that you're still called, that you're still loved, that, that it's, maybe it's going to look different, but it's not too late for you to obey God. Amen? One of my favorite reads of last year, the last few years, it's a great book. It's a secular book, but it's written by a guy named Ken Robinson. It's a book called The Element. And he writes on the subject of creativity and how that not everybody's built the same way and the educational system has to be able to adjust. And 
And in the, in the book, he tells a story about a young girl named Jillian. Jillian was about eight years old, and, and she, was, she was a brilliant girl, but she was real fidgety, and she couldn't pay attention, and she was driving her teachers crazy, and all the natural culprits were there. They saw, thought she had ADHD, and she needed to be on Ritalin, and all this stuff, and she was about to be kicked out of school, and so her parents got kind of desperate, and they took her to a psychologist. She sat on a sofa, and in the book, she talks about this, how that her little feet couldn't touch the floor. There was a really overweight guy in a tweed suit behind the desk, and he's talking to her mom and dad, but never to her. And she's listening, and she can tell this isn't good, but she really doesn't know what they're talking about. And he's watching her the whole time. And after about 30 minutes, he gets up and he says to the mom and dad, I want to speak to you outside. And just before they leave, he turns on some beautiful music on the radio. And they walk out the door and there's this pane glass window and it's a, a one-way glass. They can see her, but she can't see them. And he says to the mom and dad, let's just watch her for a while. And it wasn't but about three minutes and Jillian was up from the couch and all of a sudden, she closes her eyes, and she starts to move and dance with the music, and she's literally dancing all over the room. She does this for 15 or 20 minutes, and her movements are rhythmic and, and, and beautiful and almost primal. And, and after about 20 minutes of not saying anything, the psychologist says to the mom and dad something they would never expect. He said to them, I don't think there's anything wrong with your daughter I don't think she's failing at school. I think school is failing her. He said, she's one of those rare people that have to move to think. I think she's actually called to be a dancer. If she was my child, I would take her out of school and put her in dancing school. Jillian's mom and dad do that, and you can read about it in the book. Not only does she go to dancing school, but she ends up dancing for the Royal Ballet of London. She, she was in several Broadway productions. She now owns her own dancing studio in New York, and she has made hundreds of millions of dollars with her gifts. She didn't need a special school. She just needed to be who God created her to be, amen? And just like her, listen, listen, plus the Spirit of God, by the way, you have gifts, you have callings. See, your uniqueness is not something to guard, is something you have to guard and steward by investing in a God-given vision. Now, I need to close because, let's face it, we all need to get home for the game. But, uh, but real quickly before I close, I want to share with you just a super quick outline. promise I'm about 80% done. But I want to share with you an outline from the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is an amazing story in the Old Testament that if you really want to study vision, it would be a great place for you to start. Nehemiah is 13 chapters long, and the setting of that book is about 500 years before the birth of Christ. And Israel has disobeyed God, and so because of that, they are in what theologians call the Babylonian captivity. They are captive, literally millions of people are captive as slaves in a land called Babylonia. And they are they are about a 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem, the city of God. But the Bible says about this time that the Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, that he lets them go, and they start this 1,000-mile journey back to Jerusalem. The problem is 
the walls are all broke down. The city is burned down. It's in ruins. And so they're coming back. And about 800 miles the other direction, there's a man named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is a nobody from nowhere. He's a cupbearer to the king. He's not got some big job, but he does have access to the king. And the Bible says that Nehemiah hears about this, and God gives him a vision to cause the walls to be rebuilt and for the city to be restored. Now, real quickly, I want to share with you four attributes of a visionary person from Nehemiah. The first one is this. The first one is that visionary people, they see the need. The Bible says in verse 3, that those who survived the exile, they were back in disgrace, and the wall of Jerusalem was, was burned down. So Nehemiah hears about it, and then in chapter 2, he literally goes and sees the need. Now, now listen. Most people think the way to have the life that God imagines for them to have is to imagine a great life. Man, if I can just envision a great life. But listen, the life you're meant to live doesn't begin by you envisioning a great life. The life you're meant to live be, begins by you envisioning or seeing a great need. Why? Because it's not about you. Pastor Doug, God just wants to bless me and give me the best life ever. I'm sorry, that's never been a foundation for anybody to build a great life. No, no, no. In your city, do you have a vision for the needs that are around you? Do you just live in your city, or can you see your city? In your family, I'm the first Christian in my family, and I've led my entire family to Christ. Listen, I, in your family, do you just see a family, or do you see the needs that are in your family? Part of why you need to come with us on a mission trip is because you need to understand that there's people in this world that are living in ways that you can't even begin to imagine, and the way for you to get a burden for them is to actually see it for yourself. Number two, visionary people, they don't just see the need, but they feel the need. The Bible says in verse 4 that when Nehemiah heard about these things, that he sat down, listen, and he wept, this is verse 4, and it says... He mourned for days, and then he fasted and prayed for the people of Israel. Now, this verse has been getting me for like two months now. When's the last time you wept for something that didn't have anything to do with you? Now, that's funny because the first time, I've preached this message three times now. First time I ever preached it, I don't know, when I said that line, I had a little bit of self-righteousness because I was like, You've never wept, but I, I have. And then the word brought me to the second part of the verse, and it says he mourned for days. Brent, I, I don't know if I've ever mourned for days over something that didn't have anything to do with me. We just lost a dog that we've had for 12 years, and I mourned for days. But it affected me. You understand what I'm saying? What about looking at the needs that are around you and you're so moved by them that you don't just see them, you weep over them and literally you mourn for days. There's no such thing as a vision without emotion. Pastor Doug, I, 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 I've got this great vision, but you know, I don't really feel anything about it. No, no, no. No, vision evokes passion. Passion is birthed by vision. Visions by nature, they're emotionally driven, and, and this is why there's, there's a moral imperative involved. It's not just something could be done, it should be done. 
and it will be done or I'm going to die doing it. Amen? My wife, Jeannie, is over here with me. Everybody clap for my beautiful wife, Jeannie. <clears throat> and by the way, this is, my, this is my best friend, Keith Matheny. He's here and his beautiful wife, Lisa. You can clap for them, too. Uh, and... Uh, Jeannie and I, we, we uh, I mean, she saw the good. She fell hard, man, when we first started dating. And, and uh, we knew we were going to be married within a month. And, and uh, we, we dated real, real strong for two or three months. And then we decided that we would go away from each other uh, for, for Christmas. Uh, she would go to her house and I would go to my house. I made it till about the afternoon of Christmas Eve. And literally, I, the way I felt was this. It was like, I, I hate my mom and dad. I hate all the food. Your tree is stupid. I don't even want the gifts. You know what I'm saying? Because I was away from the one I love. And I remember it was about 4 o'clock Christmas Eve, and my mom and dad said, just go. Just go. You're, you, we, we don't even like you anymore either. You know, Just get out of here. And I, and I drove 600 miles to be with the one I love. That's what vision will do, Amen. Vision has got a way of getting you up out of your bed and making you move forward. Visionary people, they also share the need. The Bible says that Nehemiah shared it on two levels. He shared it with God and he shared it with others. Everybody say prayer, then share. Now, that that sounds so basic, but, but let me tell you. You should not tell your vision to other people until you have spoke to your creator about it excessively. I'll give you a secret about me. I feel like God has put 20 years of vision in me. Now, 52, that'll be 72 when, when what's in me right now has come true. And, and I, there's parts of it I haven't even been released by the Holy Spirit to tell my wife yet, let alone you. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, if you want to know the secrets of God, then you better have a relationship with God and stop being so willy-nilly about telling everybody everything before it's time. Amen? Can you imagine if Nehemiah had shared that vision before he should have shared it? Literally, he would have been killed for it. But, but, but the, the other side of the coin is absolutely you're going to need others, but you have to be close to God first. And then finally, and I'm done, is that visionary people, they meet the need. Now, In chapter 1 of the book of Nehemiah, the very last verse, it simply ends with this phrase, I was the cupbearer to the king. Now, I find it interesting that it ends there because it's highlighting both who who Nehemiah was, but it's also highlighting who he wasn't. Let me just give you a few facts about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in the wrong place. He was 800 miles away from the vision God gave him. Nehemiah was in the wrong profession. He was a cupbearer, not a wall builder. Nehemiah was the wrong person. He wasn't noble. He wasn't royal. He wasn't powerful. Nehemiah did not possess what he needed. He was not rich. And yet, Nehemiah doesn't pass the buck. He just decides that his vision, no matter what, even if it costs him his life, that it's going to come true. God loves to use unlikely people from unlikely places like Excelsior Springs, Missouri. Amen? God has uniquely positioned you to meet needs that nobody else can. And you just need to see. You need a 2020 vision so that your can-do can become have-to and eventually can become my dream came true. Amen? And I am a living testament of it.
See, see, it's not about all that's wrong with your circumstances. It's really about all that's wrong with your heart. Give you a little secret. God, God's really using our book over the last couple of months. Had, I think we've had four to 5,000 people do the devotion that's on version, and, and, and we, the sales are going good. But I had, I, had, I had a vision to write this three years before I typed a word. And here's why. Because I sat down and I, I knew what the book would be on. I, I knew most of the content. And, uh, and I said to the Lord, I'm going to write a book. And God asked me a question that I answered wrong for three years. He said, why do you want to write a book? And I said, well, it's because, you know, you know Lord, I want to be an author, man. Authors are really cool and I want to be one. And, and, and I, you know, I want a bigger ministry and I want you to expand. And I, I want, you know, I, I, I'd like to make money off that book. I, I mean, all kinds of things. I mean, you know, you're not saying it all out loud, but it's, you get what I'm saying. It's in you. And so three years, the Holy Spirit, why do you want to write a book? Why do you want to write a book? And finally, at the end of that whole process, I sat down one day and God really purified my heart. I write about it in the last chapter. And, uh, and I told the Lord, I said, here's why I want to write a book. Because when I was 20 years old, I knew you, but I had the worst self-worth. I didn't think you could use me. I, I didn't think there was any vision, really, or direction, anything that made me special. And now I've traveled the world over the last 30 years, and I've watched you use me in ways that I'm amazed at. And so I want to write a book to somebody who was like me. And then the first time I can give it to a broken person, I will have fulfilled my vision. And, I, and even if I just write it for that one person, I'll, I'll do it. And I'm telling you, sat down, the book poured out of me. Why? Because when you get your heart right, amen, all of a sudden, it's not about you. It's about you meeting the needs that are around you. You might say, well, Pastor Doug, I'm just not good enough, and I don't understand. And uh, First passage of Scripture I ever memorized, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29, says this. It says, God purposely chose what the world considers nonsense in order to shame the wise. You ever been considered nonsense? And he chose what the world considers weak in order to shame the powerful. He chose what the world looks down on. Anybody ever been looked down on? Despised and thinks it's nothing in order to destroy what the world thinks is important. This means that no one can boast. Everybody say, no one can boast in God's presence. Why does God choose people like you and me? Because when he ends up using you and me, he gets all the glory. Anybody other than me happy that Kanye got saved? Like, like I hear about this on Facebook all the time. It's like, praise Jesus, Kanye got saved. You know, you know, and I and I hear a bunch of Hollywood people are getting saved and stuff. And but, but I, I, I uh, the other the other day, Brandon, I, I watched the background of one of the Tom Cruise movies, and I am pretty sure I could be Tom Cruise. I kind of look like him. I, anyway, you know, you know, so. But, you know, I used to think, man, you know, Tom Cruise would get saved. I mean, that's where the kingdom would really grow. Listen, Jesus wants everybody to get saved. But that's not how the kingdom works. You know what God does? He chooses the weak, the lonely, the poor, the distraught, the ones that are like, no way you'd never use that person. Why? Because then when he uses you and me, he gets all the glory. Amen. You can't go back and go like, oh, yeah, well, of course, he was famous already. No, no, no. Jesus is the one that's famous, and he loves to choose nobodies so that he can glorify. Now, I don't know if this is true or not. You can put on some music if you want. Uh, 
but uh, I, uh, I heard this story a long time ago, and I haven't told it, I haven't told it in years until I wrote this message, but I, I'm not sure if it's a true story or not, but I hope it is. But it's a story about a little boy who was, a, he, he was from a wealthy family, and he lived in New York, and one day his mom and dad got this crazy idea that they wanted him to go to, to, to a, a piano recital with them. Now, this wasn't any piano recital. This was like a famous pianist, and it was like at Carnegie Hall or something like that. And, and so they actually bought the kid a little tux, and he hated it, you know, but they put him in it, and they brought him there. And, and there was nothing fun in that entire place for a little kid. So eventually he broke away from his mom and dad, and he went into the auditorium before anybody was really coming in. And the only thing that looked fun in the entire auditorium was this beautiful grand piano that they had sitting on stage, probably a million dollar piano. And, and, and the little kid just couldn't resist it. And eventually he found himself at the edge of the stage and he found himself up on the stage. He was so surprised nobody stopped him. And then he found himself sitting at the piano and then he opened up the little thing and then he put his little fingers like this and he started playing the only song that he knows, which is Chopsticks. He started just banging it out. Well, as soon as he started playing the piano, of course, he got the attention of everybody in the auditorium, and people started coming in from the hallway, and they started yelling at the kid, and who is this kid, and why is he up there, and look, he's ruining the master's piano, and all that, and and, and they, they called security, and the kid started missing notes, and oh my God, I'm in trouble, and 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 just about then, the master, the, the master pianist was standing in the back, and, and he looked out, and he saw what was happening. And he was kind of moved by the scene. He didn't care about the piano. And he, and he came out and he sat down next to the kid. And everybody's like, look at that. He bothered him. I mean, this kid's ruining everything. And, and he wrapped his arm around the little boy. And when he did, he, he stopped playing and he whispered in his ear. He said, no, 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 don't stop playing. He said, you're doing a great job. And that's all the permission that kid needed, man. He just started banging it out again. And, and the master, I love this picture. He, he, he put his own hands up on the keyboard. And he started playing a melody to chopsticks that was so beautiful that everybody gathered in and everybody clapped and the kid got a standing ovation and he went back to his parents and he didn't even get in trouble. That's a good story, right? Again, I hope it's true. But here's why I tell it. You, I don't know. I was, I was looking at my notes. It's my fourth time to preach here. So you probably know by now, I got simple stuff. All I really got is chopsticks. I just... I have a unique way of looking at scripture and I tell a lot of stories. <laughs> That's pretty much what I got. But I have watched God add a melody to my life over the last 30 years. He's taken my simple and he's made it extraordinary. Amen. And if he will do it for me, then he will do it for you. Amen. Come on, I want you to stand to your feet all throughout the house. How many want God to give you a vision for 2020 and beyond? We didn't just start a new year. We started a new decade, right? And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit knows stuff. He, he's, he can be way out ahead of you. You're like an arrow. You're God's arrow. Everybody say, I'm God's arrow. An arrow needs one thing. It needs a target, right? An arrow is worthless if it doesn't have a target. God wants to give you a target. He wants to give you a vision. Now, your vision's going to be different than mine. My glasses won't work on you. But God wants to give you a vision for your future. So, Father, I pray over your people right now. Come on, lift your hands and receive it. And I pray, God, that you would speak vision and life and anointing to your people. God, I pray that the fog, come on, ask them. Say, God, let the fog of deception clear. 
I'm not who I used to be. I'm not my failures. I'm not my past. Would you speak vision to your people? Open up our minds. Give us clear eyes. Give us a pure heart. You're here today and you, and you say, Pastor Doug, I, I, I don't even know if I know Jesus. I need to accept him as Savior. I don't want to oversimplify it, but the Bible says that it's Jesus that did the work. And what you have to do is just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord and you'll be saved. So let's do that right now. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. You went through the worst so that I could have the best. I give you my life. Direct me. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give God a big praise. Let's extend a thank you to Doug for coming. Just applaud.